This program is part of Film Geek Radio. Visit filmgeekradio.com for more great shows. I'm not joking. I kill people. Isaac for the cherry type warrior. Lately, there are these moments when I feel connected to something else. Would you please stop doing that? And stop saying stupid things. Talk about your bloodbath. <laughs> Greetings, sociopaths. Welcome to Avenging Angels here on Film Geek Radio. This is our podcast devoted exclusively to the eighth and final season of the Showtime series Dexter. I'm Andrew Johnson, and I'm joined by my dark passenger, Charlie Nash. Hey, Andrew. How are you doing, Charlie? Uh, I just woke up on the side of the highway, and I don't know what happened. <laughs> One thing I know, I'm just sipping tea, and then I'm just in the middle of the breakdown lane. Are you sure you didn't go into some kind of fugue state? I don't know. It's hard to tell. Either way, my sister picked me up, and now we're just trying to figure out what the hell's going on. <laughs> all right. This is our show all about the Showtime series Dexter. As always, we are not experts on the show, but we have been following this series from the beginning, and we enjoy talking about it week after week. This is episode number eight of the show, focused on the seventh episode of the final season of Dexter. The episode is titled Dress Code. It was written by Erica Lisanne Mitman and directed by Alik Sakharov. Charlie, why don't you go ahead and give our listeners a quick recap of this episode? So after being drugged by Hannah, Dexter wakes up on the side of the highway Deb picks him up, and they begin to discuss why Hannah has returned and what her possible motivations could be. At first, it seems like she's come back to terrorize them, but it is later revealed that she is now married to a wealthy mobster named Miles, who she seems to be happy with, but has actually come back to Miami to have Dexter help murder him. Dexter is also struggling with Zach Hamilton due to the fact that he is becoming impatient to kill, and Dexter is unsuccessful at attempting to train him. Deb and Elway are also fighting around the office. Jamie and Quinn are also moving in together. And Nikki now works at a topless bar. And Masuka, who usually enjoys going to strip clubs, is conflicted about it emotionally. Miles notices that Dexter and Hannah have been meeting frequently. When Hannah returns to the yacht... Miles, in a jealous rage, attacks her, and she kills him in self-defense. They dispose of his body, and when Dexter returns back to his apartment, he is also shocked to see that Cassie has been murdered, and all signs point to Zach Hamilton is the killer. All right. Before we really dive into things, though, here's a clip. Do you ever wish that you would follow through? You're killing me? you had I was never going to kill you Dexter it's just what I knew I couldn't live with Miles for much longer unlike you I don't actually enjoy any of this so what's next Okay, Charlie, before we really dive into things, what did you think of this episode as a whole? Um, Andrew, what the hell is going on in this show? I'm so confused. There's so much going on right now, and they brought Hannah back, and 
it's one of the most bizarre subplots that Dexter's ever had. Uh, she drugs him and then like avoids him for like three fourths of the episode. Characters come and go out of nowhere. Subplots that are introduced in earlier in this season are now like pushed off to the side. Vogel is barely in this episode and she's just barely seems important anymore. The stuff with Zach Hamilton is predictable and it's going down the same route that the Miguel Prado season went down. There's just a bunch of plot holes and uh, gaps in logic that just really bothered me. So yeah, not to sound like my bitchy self as I have been uh, for like the majority of this podcast and sorry to everyone who like loved this episode, but it just drove me nuts. Like it, it got me back in like tantrum mode. It, it frustrated me as much as episode four. Really? That bad? It, maybe it's just because like last week's episode, I didn't love it, but as we talked about it, it definitely improved upon, you know, some things that were really messy and handled very poorly and here it's just like they're throwing this hannah subplot at us i have no cohesive idea as to what i'm supposed to i don't know what i want to happen on this show right now i don't know what the writers want me to want happen on this show right now there's just so much going on there are a bunch of subplots that i still don't care about angie has been promoted to sergeant and she is absent from the show which is a big missed opportunity well she was absent from the show for two or three seasons but then they introduce her and they gave her more lines and they were kind of hinting at the fact that she will be a bigger presence on this show. You know, now this whole Sergeant subplot that has been built up all the way through the season no longer matters. And there's not even any tension between Angie and Quinn. And it just seems like a big missed opportunity. It's like, it's it's almost like the writers are saying like, all these subplots, we didn't really know where to go with them. So here are a bunch of new ones and we hope you like those better. I did not hate this episode as much as you did, Charlie. I thought it was a solid episode overall, but I think you are getting at one of the the larger concerns and the larger problems that I've had with Dexter over the past few seasons, and that is that as the series has progressed, it feels like it has had less and less of a solid grasp on an overarching story or an overall set of themes and ideas that it really wanted to dive into. It's been very episodic in nature, which is why, as you and I have talked about, some seasons have been much better than others. And most of the time, the series does feel kind of rocky, like there will be some episodes that are really great and other episodes that aren't so great. I, I, I just get the impression, and we'll talk about this more later when we move on to our, our main topic of the week, which I think is going to be the, the big death that happens at the end of the episode. I think the writers at this stage seem much more concerned with just crafting a good episode week after week and allowing the viewer to be entertained or just momentarily enjoy themselves on a weekly basis than they are with telling a coherent, huge, arching narrative. I just get the impression they're focused more at this point on making Dexter a satisfying weekly experience than they are with making Dexter a satisfying nearly decade-long <laughs> experience yeah. at this point. 
what you said before is so true. I mean, like, you know, even bad seasons like season six, there was the Travis plot line, which like, I still think season six is the worst season of the show, but like, at least I could follow what they were trying to do. I could follow the plot. I could see what the writers were trying to explore in terms of uh, the thematic value of religion and how that impacts Dexter's life. This season, I don't know what the story is. What is the main story? There is no driving force. Like, almost every season of Dexter, whether it be good or bad, usually had this main plot line that we could follow and be attached to. This season, it's just like they're throwing a bunch of stuff at us, and uh, it, nothing, none of it sticks. It, it's about Vogel. No, it's about the brain surgeon. No, it's about Hannah. No, it's about Zach Hamilton. Like, there's, like, what are they doing? It's all this huge mess, and I, I just don't know what I'm supposed to feel. I don't know who I'm supposed to care about. I don't know what I want to happen. Well, to play devil's advocate for a second, I agree with you. It's very messy. Yeah. I think what they are trying to go for is they are trying to make this season all about family to a certain extent. Vogel as spiritual mother, Dexter as possible spiritual father to Zach, his relationship with Deb and how that has changed. Whether or not it's possible for him to truly love someone like Hannah and for them to live happily ever after. This does seem to be a season that, on a certain level, is trying to be the culmination of everything we've seen so far. It's trying to really be about connection and Dexter's relationships with people and family relationships in particular. I agree with you, though, it just doesn't seem like it's it's doing that in a very tight, effective manner. Yeah, I agree with you. I do believe that it is trying to say a lot about family this season, but for a show that's trying to be all about people connecting with one another, I feel like this show could not be any messier with <laughs> connecting with its characters because, you know, characters are literally pushed off to the side for certain episodes, and then they come back in other episodes, and they're like the, the main focus and like you know Vogel's in like two scenes of this episode and they're terrible especially because last episode she's like what if we teach Zach the code he could be like you and and then Dexter meets up with her in this episode and she says uh I just met with Zach and he's in a very agitated state and then Dexter says um you know he's impatient he doesn't want to learn the code and she says apples and oranges Dexter he can't wait and I just go but if he can't wait then why were you so confident that he could learn this code? If he can't wait to kill, then he can't be taught the code. It's as if the writers were just like, oh, we'll make her change her mind just to because we want to take this plot line in which Zach just becomes impatient and kills Cassie. Like, it, you know, her character isn't consistent with her logic. Yeah, and that's always been a problem with Dexter as a, as a whole. The writers do have the tendency to... They, they will mold the characters to fit the plot as opposed to molding the plot around the characters, which is the wrong approach to take, I think. But before we really dive into the stuff about Zach and before we talk about Cassie and everything that happened at the end, let's move on to some other specifics. I want to start off by talking about Hannah because that was the big cliffhanger at the end of last week's episode. Hannah's back. The last episode ended with her drugging Dexter and Deb, which was a really thrilling cliffhanger. This episode, we discover that really it doesn't look like she's there to 
harm them in any way, she it seems like she and Dexter are still in love with each other, and their main conflict is going to be a romantic one and whether or not they can be together, particularly since Deb still doesn't trust Hannah and is very concerned that she has returned. If we were normal people, Dexter, we would go to U.S. Marshal Service. If we can't do that, she knows everything about me. Yeah, but she didn't talk about you the last time she was arrested. Because she was in love with me. And drugging me and leaving me on the side of the road might suggest that's changed. So what the f*** are we supposed to do? There are traffic surveillance cameras. She had to have passed them. I'll put in a request for the footage, get a license plate. I thought this part of my life was over. So did I. The moment I asked you to kill her was a moment that I started to lose myself, and I'm just starting to get back. I don't want to deal with this. I want her gone. What did you think of how they handled this Hannah subplot, Charlie? This subplot makes absolutely no sense. Like, I understand why they brought Hannah back, because they're probably trying to get viewers excited that she's back. But, like, you go from her drugging Dexter and Deb, and it seems like it's going to be, like, I don't know, fatal attraction or something. And then Dexter has to track her down, and she's, like, shocked to see him and trying to avoid him for most of the episode, for uh, at least for, like, the first half of the episode. And it just doesn't makes sense and then she said oh but i changed my mind and it all just feels so contrived and like you just said the writers are more concerned with molding the characters to fit the plot as opposed to keeping these characters intact with who they are as real people and that this is a perfect example of that they they tease us with hannah's back and it looks like it's going to be she's going to be a real threat and then they're like, oh, scratch that. Uh, actually, she's still in love with Dexter. And uh, yeah, just, just go with it, guys. I am going to defend this to a certain extent. Because as I mentioned earlier, it seems like the writers work very episodically. And I really loved last episode, if you recall, Charlie. And I love how that ending with Hannah, that cliffhanger, was just a really high note to go out on after a really entertaining hour of television. I agree with you. What they do here doesn't really feel appropriate. It doesn't feel like there's a lot of connective tissue between Hannah drugging Dexter and Deb, and now, wait, suddenly she still is in love with Dexter. It doesn't really flow together. But I like both of those ideas on their own. I like the fact that last episode was able to go out on a high note, And I also like that they're not making things with Hannah too complicated at this point. As you mentioned, this season does feel a little bit overstuffed. And if we were going to get another crazy, twisty subplot with Hannah, where, oh, is she good? Is she bad? What does she really want? I think that would make things too complicated and even more convoluted than this season has already been at times. I like the fact that, no, she's just here because she kind of still is in love with Dexter, and he's still in love with her, and that's an important relationship that they're going to explore for the final five episodes of the series. 
and whether Dexter and Hannah can be together. I think that's simple. It's straightforward. I think that that is probably the best way to approach Hannah if you are going to introduce her back into the show. I, I It just didn't work for me. And I don't know, like, why did she drop him off on the side of the highway? Okay, well, well, well let me ask you this, Charlie, because mm-hmm. I agree with you. I That connective tissue yeah. is the problem. Would it have worked better for you? If instead of ending on a cliffhanger last episode, Dexter just kind of discovered that she was back in town. Somehow it was mentioned, or he saw evidence of her on some security footage or or something, I, I don't know. But he somehow just happened onto the fact that she was back in town and decided to go check it out. Would that work better for you? It would be a less intriguing cliffhanger for sure, but it would make more logical sense. I just felt like totally manipulated by this. I just felt like the writers were just like, we're going to introduce Hannah this way. Like she's almost like she's a slasher villain. She's stalking him. And then we're just going to go in a completely different direction out of the blue. And we're going to have Dexter stalk her and follow her. And she's going to be trying to avoid him. Like what? And she's married to... This really bland villain who, there's nothing more boring to me than a rich mobster with his henchmen, and he's goofy, and he's cliched, and I think that the way that they introduce his character and then just off him, like, I I can't say I'm unhappy that they just offed him like that, but they introduced him like he was going to be this huge part of the show, and then he's just dead. Oh, I'm glad that he's gone. I'm I'm glad that he's gone, too, but they, like, spent so much time, like, developing him and, like, you know, saying what he does as a character. Another thing that bothered me about the Hannah subplot, too, is that Deb, like, there's a scene where Deb's on the phone with someone, and then she says, you mean no one's seen her since she's escaped from prison? But Hannah went to Dexter's apartment, drugged both of them, dragged Dexter into a car, dropped him off on the side of the highway, and then later in the episode, they meet up in the greenhouse that they've always met up in in season seven, and I'm just thinking, wait, Someone would definitely notice this by now. Like, no one is that (laughs) stupid. Anyone, a neighbor, I don't know. It asked me to suspend too much disbelief for this type of subplot. She's just walking around Miami like nothing's wrong. Why would she go back? I know that she loves Dexter, but it just seems like the show's asking us to forgive too much. Like, just, just suspend their disbelief to the point where... Everyone is an idiot, and no one recognizes Hannah, despite the fact that she's a beautiful woman with beautiful blonde hair, and she's always dressed up, and I, I don't know. I agree with you to an, ex- to an extent, Charlie. I, I like the overall beats they're hitting with Hannah, and how it, they are, it seems like, just going to make it about her and Dexter's romance and their feelings for each other. I agree with you, though. The details are pretty shaky again just because the writers seem to be working so episodically it really doesn't make much sense for her to drug dexter and and deb i mean and you're right she leaves him by the side of the road and then she seems surprised when he tracks her down it's like what did she think he was gonna do yeah exactly yeah it, it, it is very very messy so i i can i totally see what you're saying and i agree with you I guess this show has just become so rocky and so episodic that maybe there's a part of me that has just given up trying to find a coherent narrative arc tying everything together. I think maybe I've just decided, okay, if you can give me an 
an entertaining episode week after week. <laughs> I guess I'll be okay. It doesn't necessarily all have to connect together. Just entertain me on a weekly basis because it seems like that's what the writers are going for, honestly. It seems like they've thrown this idea of creating a larger arc out the window to a large extent. And they're just sort of saying, well, what can we have happen week after week? What crazy twist can we have this week that'll make things interesting? Oh, Dexter will have an apprentice. Oh, no, that this week Zach kills someone. Oh, Hannah's back. Oh, but she doesn't want what you think she wants. It's just, it's, it's very much week after week. What new thing can we introduce to surprise the audience and keep them engaged, even if it really doesn't make sense? Then I'll go watch Law & Order SVU for that. Like, yeah. <laughs> I, I mean... Good point. I guess maybe it's because I'm getting spoiled now because Breaking Bad just came back on. And I know it's a completely different show and it's not fair of me to compare this. But like Breaking Bad had more plot development in a single episode than half of this season of Dexter. That's a show where I was thinking this is tight. The writers know what they're doing. They know exactly what the viewers want. They're giving us plot twists that make sense and are true to the characters. And then I just caught up on Game of Thrones, which also throws crazy, crazy plot twists into their... Uh, show so maybe I'm just and 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 they make them tragic and very brutal but also uh, very engaging and I know that's totally unfair of me to compare a show about a serial killer to a show about a guy who cooks meth or a show that takes place in a fantasy world but maybe I'm just saying with all of this great television on TV right now it just kind of uh, upsets me that this once great show is now getting as rocky as it is. And I, I just am becoming frustrated with it because it's at the final season and my expectations have been raised and I, I just I, I just don't know what to do with it anymore. Well, we've we've talked about Breaking Bad and mentioned it before on the on, on this podcast. We've talked about how Breaking Bad and Dexter at least the oh, the first few seasons of Dexter, it seemed like they were thematic opposites and how Breaking Bad was about one man's transformation into a monster and Dexter was about one monster's transformation into a man. What you've touched on and, and the reason I think that Breaking Bad has become overall a much more satisfying show than Dexter is because in Breaking Bad we get the feeling when we watch it that they've known from the very beginning to at least to a general sense what they wanted to do. And from the very first season, Vince Gilligan said, I want this to be about Mr. Chips transforming into Scarface. And that's mm -hmm. what the show's going to be about. And that's been its primary arc and its primary vision the entire time. With Dexter, you're right. It hasn't been very clear. What is the end point? What is the show building towards? It seems like the vast majority of successful TV shows let you know what their end point is. In Lost, I wasn't very satisfied with the ending, but for most of the runtime, it was that driving question of what is this island and why are we here? That was the driving force of the show. In Battlestar Galactica, it was Earth. Earth is the destination. We have to find our way to Earth. That was the end point. Dexter, it seemed like in its early seasons, the end point was Dexter becoming human or Dexter coming to some sort of realization within himself about his actions. And that hasn't been explored 
in a very coherent, efficient way. No. Which is why the show has been so rocky and has been so frustrating, especially in this in these final seasons. It feels like they've lost sight of that original endpoint. And now, as a result, we don't know what the endpoint is. No, we have no idea. I think the show's still trying to uh, develop him as becoming human, but it almost seems to be justifying his motives to kill, which is... I feel like the exact opposite of what they were going for in the first place. Like, you know, I thought this was going to end in Dexter realizing the consequences of his actions. But the more that the season goes on, Dexter's killing people and it means less and less. They just totally get rid of Miles. And once again, they just cut forward into the future. Can you get me um, sheets and uh, plastic bags and make sure no one on the boat crew will notice that you're like bringing all this stuff to dispose a dead body on board? Yep, okay. And then it just cuts to them dropping the uh, bags of his body parts into the middle of the ocean, and then everything's fine. And now I just don't care if they get back together, because, first of all, Hannah is insane. Well, right, but so is Dexter, so I'm kind of I'm kind of interested in that. Like, w- is it possible for two killers to be together? And it's that question that, they, that Dexter asks himself at the end of of the episode can they be together can two killers work together or ultimately will it just end in blood like it did with zach and that's that's an interesting idea that's something i i I like that the show's taking that approach to hannah i agree with you i don't know what the end point is or what it's building towards but that's that's interesting and it seems less convoluted than some of the other ways they could have gone now Granted, it's entirely possible in a few episodes we'll discover that Hannah drugging them really did matter, and maybe she was just slowly poisoning them. Yeah. <laughs> but for now, I'm I'm glad that that's not the case. I'm glad they're keeping things simple. It's messy, but I'm still interested mm-hmm. in that relationship. The, the last thing I'll say about Hannah is Deb obviously doesn't trust her. Deb's very concerned Deb still implies she thinks Hannah needs to die at one point in the episode. That bothered me a little bit. Yeah, it's implying that she's now got like this urge to kill and she's totally okay with killing and that doesn't really go with her character. Well, well, not that she has an urge to kill. I don't want us to start conflating Deb with Dexter. Okay. But clearly she feels murdering Hannah would be justified. And that is something that she had brought up to Dexter in season seven, that, hey, if there's anyone worth killing, it's Hannah. However, after the way season seven ended with Deb killing La Guerta, and after she went through this this horrible breakdown where she hit rock bottom and she wanted to confess or maybe even kill herself in Dexter. And she's been through so much. It does seem strange to me that she would automatically return to, yay, killing her. With Hannah, it's justified. I feel like now she she would be a little bit more hesitant. I mean, going through all of that surely would change someone's attitudes towards violence and murder. And I, I'm not getting the impression that it really has in this case. So this is just another example of plot determining character rather than vice versa. Exactly. You know, like after 
you know, a few sessions with Vogel, she's back to normal and killing is apparently okay on her agenda. Or like the thought if, of if killing it comes, doesn't if bother. If it's Hannah, it's justified. Yeah. And going back to like Hannah and Dexter both being insane, I feel like Dexter is totally aware of how insane he is, but Hannah is just like oblivious to her insanity. Well, to be fair, she yeah. does point out in this episode that she does not have this psychopathic urge to kill. Like no, she's not a psychopath. She has killed in the past, though, and she is willing to kill if it's what she needs to do. Yeah, I, I don't know. My, my, my favorite line, I do want to say, my favorite line of this whole episode is Dexter shows up at the greenhouse where Hannah is watering her plants. And Dexter says, Miles just followed me to the gas station. And Hannah says, God, he loves to be dramatic. And then I thought, Hannah, you poisoned Dexter and Deb, and then you drop Dexter off on the highway, and you're going to accuse this guy of being dramatic, and you're not even going to, like, acknowledge, like, I, I don't know. I think, honestly, Charlie, the best thing we could do is to forget Hannah did that. It seems like that was just <laughs> intended as a fun way to end last episode. It seems like the writers wanted us to forget that happened. Kind of like, that was an interesting thing that happened, guys. All right, now let's move on. L- let's take the best part of last week's episode and have it mean nothing this week. Oh, I agree it does that, but I don't, but that's because, but but I disagree that Hannah was the most interesting part of last week's episode. <laughs> but we'll move on to that. Yeah. Later. Let, let's move on to some other plot stuff. I don't really want to talk about Quinn and Jamie because that really doesn't matter if this episode. Nobody cares. Dead. Quinn shows up to look mad. That now he can't follow Zach anymore, and, and he kind of throws it at Batista's face. Jamie and I are moving in together. Like yeah. this is some really big thing. Uh, whatever. Yeah. The only way in which this is interesting is that it does imply Quinn and Jamie may be getting more serious, which means it's less and less likely that Quinn and Deb will end up back together. So I guess that's that's interesting. Sort of. I want Quinn to be happy, and if he's happy with Jamie, fine, and if he's happy with Deb, fine. Whatever. I want Quinn to die in some meaningful way so that I'll actually (laughs) care about him as a character, because I just don't care. And as for who uh, Deb will end up with, she's always had terrible taste in men, and I could really care less if she ends up with Quinn or Elway, especially because Elway has just this ridiculously impulsive monologue this week that just felt... I don't know. I found it to be funny, but... Okay, let, let, let's talk about Elway. Yeah. And, and Deb. I actually kind of liked that part of the episode again, and, and I, I realize, yes, like we've been saying this entire recording session, as a whole, it's messy. But on a purely episode-by-episode episode basis, I like this because we get a few scenes of... Deb and Elway having some problems with each other. Elway's upset with Deb, and she knows that he's interested in her, but she keeps rejecting him, and that bothers him. And I I just like mm-hmm. how they're sort of opening up and being honest with each other and trying to talk like normal people, <laughs> because that isn't always something we get to see on this show. Yeah. So I like that they're trying to act like normal, sane human beings and work out their problems. And I like how this episode doesn't immediately jump into an Elway-Deb 
relationship. I feel like it would be very easy for the writers to be like, okay, and in this episode, they're going to talk, and they're, and Deb's finally going to realize she has feelings for Elway, and they're going to make out, and that's how the episode ends. I, I'm glad that the writers seem to be taking their time and being a little bit patient here and letting it just kind of be drawn out, just because that seems a little bit more realistic to me. Yeah, that's one thing they're being patient with. Um <laughs> But, uh, I don't know, like, she just helped him out a ton last episode. She did this really sketchy thing where, like, and it was incredibly unprofessional for her to help him follow, uh, his brother-in-law. And then in the first scene that he's in, he, and Deb is actually kind of like, you know, she's not even being that rude. She's like, you're just kind of in my space. Like, I'm sorry, I'm just a little stressed out. And he's like, why are you being such a fucking bitch? And I'm just like chill out, dude. Like, it, it felt like the the writers are like, we need every scene to be as dramatic as possible. And it, it just felt flat for me. You know what would make this show uh, amazing for me? If Lundy comes back in ghost form. <laughs> like, like if Deb starts, like, having, like, this uh, love triangle between Elway, Quinn, and then Lundy in, like, ghost form. That, what, that would just make the show perfect. That'll be the uh, the spinoff Dex the spinoff to Dexter that they've talked about maybe doing. It'll it'll be called it'll be called Deborah, and it'll be all about how the trauma of everything she's been through makes her crazy, and she starts <laughs> having visions of dead Lundy. <laughs> or what if what if uh, Lundy becomes uh, her Harry, her ghost Harry, and then like <laughs> Deb and uh, Dexter could get into conversations, and they'll both have Lundy and uh, Harry behind them, and then Lundy and Harry could even get in arguments. <laughs> <laughs> this sounds amazing, Charlie. I think we should pitch it to Showtime. I, I, I think it could go very well. <laughs> It'll be like the funny sitcom version of Dexter. <laughs> I mean, I half expected a laugh track when Dexter woke up on the side of the road, like, where are you? I don't know. I'm on the highway. Insert laugh track here. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, okay. I- anything else you really you want to say about Deb and Elwe? I kind of liked it. It sounds like you really didn't. I like the second scene better than the first scene, that's for sure. I, I didn't mind this, uh, the scene really made up. It's just subtlety, as we've said, is not this show's strong suit. And I just felt like if they had a quieter moment of tension, it would have made me care a lot more. As opposed to everyone just screaming at each other. I don't know. It kind of it kind of worked for me when Elway had his little outburst because we've known for a while now that he has feelings for her, but he has been kind of he has been a nice guy. He hasn't been too overt about it, and for her to to kind of get annoyed at him after he did, you know, give her a job and has been nice to her overall. I I, I can see why he would be frustrated. So I was willing to go with that. I can understand that, but at the same time, I think he should understand that he just put her in a very, very uncomfortable and unprofessional situation that she just helped him out with and didn't really complain about. Or did she complain about it? I don't remember. I'm sorry. <laughs> I mean, she she did at the end of that last episode. It was kind of like, what are you doing? Yeah, yeah, but it wasn't like she held a grudge over his head for like this episode or anything like that. I just never found Elway to be a very rich character. I feel like a lot of... What what I'm dealing with uh, in terms of my problems with this season, too, is a lot of these subplots feel either been there, done that, or a lot of these new characters feel very hollow 
and not very deep. And I just don't think that Elway's a very deep character. I don't think Angie's a deep character. I don't think Zach Hamilton's a deep character. Vogel, I, th- you know, we thought there was something going on there. Now we're not so sure. I just think that this show is empty at this point. It's it, even Hannah, you know, like, you know, the, Hannah's the most convincing out of all these side characters in terms of like being an actual human being but she's also like you said being manipulated by the plot more than anything else so i just feel like there's very little for me to invest in these characters because they mean so little to me i i agree with you to a certain extent uh you know and even though i will defend the execution of this deb elway stuff you're right. Elway's not a very strong character. He's not a three-dimensional character. Cassie wasn't a three-dimensional character. None of these new characters, with the possible exception of Vogel, are really all that interesting when you get right down to it. And that probably was a major mistake on behalf of the writers. You know, this is the show's last season. This is when they need to be really wrapping things up with the characters we've, we're already familiar with, with the characters we've spent eight years following. Mm-hmm. They need to be the focus. If they want to introduce Vogel or Zach or some new big bad as well, fine. But you're right. There have been a lot of new characters that they introduced this season that maybe if they introduced them a season or two ago – they could have take they could have developed them and we and we could grow to care about them but there just isn't enough time no there's no time at all i give the writers an a for effort for trying to introduce a bunch of new characters but they are doing nothing with them and we i, I forgot to mention nikki who you know now she works at a topless bar well i was just going to ask you about Nikki, and and move on to this final subplot before our main topic. Can we at least agree that this is kind of awesome? Yeah, this is the only part of the episode I really enjoy, because uh, this is something that Masuka... Masuka goes to strip clubs for the first seven seasons of the show constantly, and now that his possible daughter works at a topless bar, this is a coherent and interesting conflict that he uh, is dealing with emotionally. It's very true to his character. Yes, I, I really, really like this. We kind of joked in previous podcasts that, oh, what if having a daughter completely changes how Masuka views women? And I like that it seems like that's what they're actually doing here. I mean, we haven't really gotten to see anything except this one side of Masuka for seven seasons, and now for them to finally flip that on its head I think is really great and really interesting and it's, it does feel like a satisfying conclusion for his character if, if that's where he ultimately ends up. I think it'll be great if for seven seasons, he's just this total pervert, and then by the end of season eight, He's this really nice, wholesome, decent guy. Mm-hmm. I think, at the very least, that would be a satisfying character arc for someone on this show. So even if we're not ultimately uh, satisfied by what happens to Dexter, we can look back and say, well, you know, I'm glad things worked out for Masuka. Exactly, yeah. I, I will agree with you on that. I just like how it plays upon that old joke about how, you know, how could you go to a strip club? Those are someone's daughters. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and and how they, they've decided, okay, that's a criticism of Masuka and, and his visiting of strip clubs. Let's just make that happen. Yeah, exactly. Um, even though I find Nikki to be kind of boring and, like, she's, you know, a character that we've seen in a million other shows, at least she is developing 
one of the main characters who we have spent so much time with over the past few years. Once again, uh, I don't find her to be a very deep character, but at least she's helping Masuka grow. That's a good point that you bring up, and it sounds similar to what I talked about last week about how I really liked the Zach Hamilton development because of how it could potentially develop Dexter. It True. seems like the yeah. conclusion we're getting at here is that maybe having so many new characters isn't a great idea unless you can use those characters to take these characters we've been following for a long time in some interesting directions. And it seems like with Masuka, that's happening It seems like with Zach Hamilton, that maybe was going to happen, maybe not. It seems like, at least at the beginning of the season, that's what was happening with Vogel, where she was this new character that was suddenly taking Dexter new places. It hasn't worked with Elway, and it arguably hasn't really worked with Cassie, which we can move on to now, unless you have something else you want to say about Nikki. Um, I will say one thing. Um, I love the fact that Masuka has a heart, because I feel like a lot of the characters on this show are losing their hearts. And uh, But I will say this. Um, to go from a waitress at a topless bar to being a lab assistant... Uh, <laughs> talk about a stretch. <laughs> also, the uncomfortable truth of the matter is she will be making far less money. Oh, yeah. I mean, I could understand. I could actually buy that. And I could understand because uh, we've we've learned from previous episodes that money is her a big priority for her. Yeah, if she does become a lab assistant, that'll be interesting. I'm kind of hoping she doesn't. I kind of hope she's like, "Hey, Dad, I have debts. I'm going to pay them off myself. Currently, working at the topless bar is the best way to do that. And if you have issues with that, well, then you need to <laughs> explore and reflect on your feelings about women." Yeah. <laughs> And then Zach kills her, and then Masuka wants to be a killer, too. <laughs> oh, man. Okay. Well, let's, it sounds like we're both fairly happy with the Masuka-Nikki subplot. Let, let's move on to our main topic of the show, which will be Cassie and Zach, and those two characters and how their lives seem to have intersected at the end of this episode with Zach killing Cassie. I'll let you start. What What are your thoughts on this development? Uh, did anyone feel any sort of loss for the fact that Cassie is now dead? Because I didn't. We don't know anything about Cassie other than she's nice, and she thought Dexter, like, uh, didn't like her. You know, once again, I'm mentioning the AV Club, but the AV Club said, it's really hard to care about the death of a character who's uh, when the audience doesn't even know her last name. <laughs> And, like, you know, she's not deep, you know? It's not like trying to go for the dramatic heights of of Rita's death or anything like that, but I just felt nothing, and I feel like this is exactly what happened with Miguel Prada when, in season three, when Dexter's like, he can be my serial-killing buddy, and then he's just like, we have to kill Ellen Wolf, we have to kill Ellen Wolf, and Dexter's like, no, 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 be be patient here, we can't, there's, there's rules to this. It's literally the same thing we've seen in season three. It's just the same plot. I'm bored to death with this character. Okay, well, let me talk about Cassie a bit before we move on to Zach. To play devil's advocate a little bit, I don't think we were supposed to really care about Cassie and be devastated now that she's dead. Especially because once Hannah shows up, we know Cassie's out of the picture. She no longer has any real purpose when it comes to Dexter and his life. He's in love with Hannah. 
he went out with Cassie, but he didn't seem to have any real feelings for her. Cassie has always existed as a plot device. And as we just talked about, that can be interesting if these new characters are serving as plot devices to bring new things out of the characters they're attached to. But in this case, Cassie didn't really lead Dexter to any new epiphanies or any new insights. She didn't really help him evolve in any way. She seems to have existed solely as a plot element. And as a plot element, it's okay. I like the fact that she has been appearing every episode for the past three or four episodes. So now when she gets killed off, it sort of matters a little bit to us just because we've seen her. Yeah, for like a scene where where we don't know anything about her. Well, right. Yeah, it would be weird if they just introduced her this this episode as Dexter's neighbor, and then suddenly she died. Yeah, I will give you that. Or maybe that would work better, actually. I don't know. Maybe if it is going to be a plot device, maybe it would work better if she was just kind of like Miles, and she just showed up one episode to die and serve her function. Well, what I got out of what they were trying to do with Cassie is they're trying to say, Dexter sucks at dating normal women. Dexter can only be with people like him, Like, and that's why he's attracted to Hannah, and now... Cassie is dead, and that gives him bigger motivation to stick with Hannah. That, that That's basically what I got out of it, is that, like, Dexter can't be with someone normal. But that doesn't make sense, because he was with Rita. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So that just kind of, you know, betrays everything that came before it. So yeah, I, I, I don't know. It doesn't make sense. And everything with Zach Hamilton... Uh, or, or do you want to stick with Cassie for now before we go to Zach? We can we can move on to Zach if you want. We can kind of talk about it all. Okay, because uh, at the very beginning of the episode, Dexter says, uh, don't ever come back to my apartment. We can't be seen together. I love how he says, you can't come back here. We can't be seen in public. And then they talk outside for a few minutes. And then the only reason they talk outside for a few minutes is so Zach can see Cassie leave with uh, Patrick and then go, oh, she's cute. And then uh, that just gives him motivation to kill her, I guess, uh, when Dexter's guess. pissed. Clearly, because Dexter's not showing any interest in Cassie. That's just a neighbor. So, like, how does he know that uh, Dexter has such, you know, has been dating her? And not only that, but uh, we can't be seen in public together. Uh, they are together in public so much throughout this episode after he says that that it just drove me insane well yeah i guess the lesson we're supposed to draw from this is that dexter is an awful teacher who can't take his own advice (laughs) he's the worst obi-wan kenobi to the most annoying little shit of a luke skywalker (laughs) (laughs) now he's off my tail we can get down to business find someone that you know eventually what do you mean eventually? I mean, long before my father taught me how to do what I do, he taught me how not to do it. Why would I want to not do it? Timing is everything. One thing you need to learn, the first thing that I had to learn, is to wait. Control your urges, channel them appropriately. I can't wait. I can't control it. Yes, you can. You're going to get your chance, Zach, I promise. 
but the only way I've survived as long as I have is by being careful. I'm going to teach you how to do that. And then you'll be able to do what I do. And get away with it. Well, okay, Here, here's the the issue and the problem with this. Again, this is like the thing that happened with Hannah when she drugged Deb and Dexter. Interesting. I'm engaged. Okay, Cassie's dead. That's interesting. It does not connect to anything else, really. No. And that does make me concerned with what the overall arc of this season is going to turn out to be. Because it just brings up so many questions, okay? Does Zach only feel compelled to kill young women? It seemed like he wanted to kill his father. If he's going to have an outburst and disobey Dexter, why does he not go kill his father? Yeah. Why Cassie? Is it just because she's around and he was stressed? It it, it brings up too many issues. And, and also, the problem is, like I said last episode, Charlie, I like that potential to explore Dexter as a new Harry and Dexter's attempts to be a spiritual father and teach Zach the ways of the code. I feel like we need at least an episode or two of him doing that before we move on to a major plot development like this, where Zach has a breakdown and, and just can't do it. It's, it's just, it's moving too fast. You know, that was some really interesting thematic stuff the show could have dived into that it's now not going to. Yeah, it feels like the, all the writers sat around in a circle and one writer had a subplot and they were like, well, let's just do all of them. And then like, you know, mesh them together. And now it's like they're losing track of how to wrap them up in a satisfying way. And they're like, well, we'll just we'll just rush this. We'll just, you know, put, you know, condense this subplot to fit in this condensed subplot to fit in this condensed subplot. It just feels like they, they just, I, I don't know what they're doing. I, I, it feels aimless. What is the point? There's no core to this show anymore. It's just going through the motions. I mean, is there really anything different between Zach and Miguel Prado other than difference in age? I remember liking season three. Unfortunately, I do not remember season three enough to really comment. All I basically remember is that he and Miguel Prado teamed up. Miguel Prado wanted to go outside the code. Dexter couldn't allow that, so he killed Miguel. That's, yeah. I remember the the basic beats of that plot line. I don't remember the specifics, though. You feel like they've done it before. Maybe it's because I viewed that Dexter-Prado relationship. I didn't view Miguel as an apprentice as much as I did just like a sidekick or a friend. And I view this Zach relationship, or at least I did view it last episode, it seemed like they were going for more of a father-son, master-apprentice type of relationship, which I think is a little bit different and more interesting given Dexter's origins. It's unfortunate that they're not really going to explore that and allow it to differentiate itself from, from the Miguel Prado stuff. Yeah, no, not at all. It, to me, it just feels like they're telling the same plot, but they're using different labels. Like, Miguel could be Coke, and Zach Hamilton could be Diet Coke. Like, it just feels like, I, I, I don't know, it just it just feels like they're trying to convince us of how new this development is, and I'm just not buying it. 
Well, then who's Clear Coke? That's what I want. <laughs> Who is Coke Zero? <laughs> <laughs> Who is Vanilla Coke? Who is Diet Vanilla Coke? Do you know, once again, Zach Hamilton just annoys the living hell out of me. He's back to acting like just a creep. And the, the one thing that I will say that I liked between him and Dexter is when Dexter says, you need to get a job or some sort of a cover story because, uh, and, and then Zach says, well, I have money. And Dexter says, yeah, you might as well be wearing a sign. That was the one thing that felt real to me is that Zach is just this spoiled rich kid who likes killing people. How is no one noticed him taking pictures and how did no one notice him breaking into the apartment? And not to mention, he made a huge scene knocking on Dexter's door and Cassie said he's not home. But don't you think there would be another neighbor who would have been like, yeah, uh, there was this weird, creepy kid knocking on the door for like 10 minutes. And then he interacted with this neighbor and now she's dead. Yeah. And, and, and that's why they needed to draw this subplot with Zach out a little bit longer. I feel like I want to see more of Dexter training Zach and be like, hey, you need to get a job. This is what you need to do. If we're going to be sympathetic to Zack when he has his little breakdown and kills Cassie, I want an episode or two of him trying to control himself. I want an episode where we really see him struggle with his his urge to kill, where we really see him trying to be like Dexter before he realizes he ultimately can't. Yeah, exactly. Because, you know, if he's not even trying, then he's just a shallow rich kid that you know has no depth why why should we care right and 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 as a result there's no opportunity for the show to really explore that idea of dexter as a spiritual father and the last thing i want to say about zach and what they've done with zach is that i'm very concerned about how this sets things up for the series to end you mentioned earlier that it seems like they're leading up to a very pro dexter ending I'm starting to get that impression myself, and it's starting to bother me because I'm, I'm trying to figure out, okay, where can they go from now? How is this development, how is the death of Cassie going to impact Dexter and how he views himself? The logical thing and the natural thing would seem to me that Dexter is now going to use this as further evidence that he is special. We couldn't teach Zach the code, but I've learned the code I'm unique. I'm a special psychopath. Therefore, when I murder people, it's okay. Yeah. I'm I'm very worried that that is going to be Dexter's ultimate epiphany at the end of the series and while in a, on a certain level, I think that could be an interesting note to end the show on. It doesn't match with what the show seemed like it was going to be about, especially in those early seasons. Absolutely. It's just changing gears at the last second. And last season, season seven, really dealt with the consequences that he faces with killing people with Deb. And that was some of the most compelling material that the show ever had, because one of the main characters that we've spent time with throughout the years has now learned that he's a serial killer. And that's emotionally devastating to us as viewers and to the characters to experience. And now that is like all cleaned up and Deb apparently just doesn't 
it just doesn't mean anything to her anymore. And now, yeah, it's like, it's all about Dexter's special. And, you know, he has a good heart. He kills people, but he's a good person is really what they're building up to, as we've said before. And what is there to be learned about that? Not like I'm saying that, like, movies, violent video games and television are responsible for people going out and killing people. But like, you know, there's already been one kid uh, who went out and killed someone and then said, I was a big fan of Dexter and blah, 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 blah. And that that's not Dexter's fault. That's a kid who's just blaming the show and getting big media coverage because of it. But seriously, what does that say about a show where a serial killer can just get away with it in the end and everything's fine? Like, that's just morally uncomfortable. It is, it is, it is uncomfortable, Charlie. I do not want to say that that could never be done and a series could never pull that off in an effective way, especially if it's done for kind of meta or satirical purposes almost. Like, hey, you've been watching this show for eight seasons and he got away with everything. Are you happy about that? If so, what does that say about you? You know, if, if, if that seemed to be a major thematic component of the show... I think an ending like that could be interesting and could maybe work, which is why I'm not I'm not going to come right out and say that if that's the way the show goes, ultimately it, it's automatically going to fail. I'm going to say that it will probably fail just because yeah. <laughs> that does not seem like that that has not been the show that we've been watching for the past seven seasons. Really. No, tonally it would just be ridiculous to go from that getting back to zach here's what i'm hoping they will do with this plot point i'm hoping instead of dexter seeing what zach did and concluding i'm the only special psychopath i'm special i'm great i can do whatever i want i'm hoping he will realize hey zach could not control himself i can control myself to what extent can i control myself could i be patient as I told Zach to be, could I be patient for the next 50 years and not kill anybody? Am I capable of that? That's interesting, but I feel like that lets him off the hook too easily. Whether or not there are consequences for the murders he's already committed is another issue entirely. But Mm -hmm. in terms of Dexter as a character, I want this final season, or I've, I wanted it at least to be about him really coming to grips with who am I? Have I realized anything over the past eight years about myself? Do I have to be this way? I've spent my whole life feeling like I had to kill. Do I really have to? That is what Dexter needs to be thinking about. I'm, I'm, I hope that's what they use this stuff with Zach to dive back into. If you ask me right now whether I think that's going to happen, I'd say probably not. You know what would be the most hilarious ending to Dexter is if Dexter asked himself all of those questions in voiceover while Zach is back on his table and there's like, you know, ambient music playing in the background and then it just goes to, nope. And then he just like stabs Zach, and then the show's over. Like, like, <laughs> uh, but I feel like to go a little off uh, back to what we were talking about with a darkly satirical form of Dexter getting away with it. I feel like uh, one film that does that really well is uh, American Psycho by Mary Heron. Oh, sure. Well, I guess this is actually getting complicated because then I'm spoiling a movie that we're not supposed to be talking about. But well, okay, to paint it broadly, American Psycho is sort of a satire of corporate culture 
and how corporate culture is in many ways psychopathic. <laughs> yeah. And and that touches on another thing, again, that we've talked about. We, we mentioned briefly last episode when we were talking about the opening credits of the show. Dexter has frequently touched on this idea of everyday people being killers underneath, underneath or everyday people having secrets and darkness inside them like Dexter has inside him. So if the show wants to end with Dexter, quote-unquote, getting away with it, another way in which I think that could be satisfying is if they paint it in a way where it's just like he goes back to living a normal life and maybe he's no longer killing, but we know he did at one point, and we know that he has all of this in his past, and we know that he may or may not still be deep down inside a killer living amongst everyone else. (laughs) And if the show really focuses on that and kind of ends on a note of, well, who are you and who's your neighbor? Yeah. That could be interesting. So again, I'm not going to totally write off the idea of Dexter getting away with it. It's just a matter of how they execute it. And I'm not sure that this development with Zach is going to lead to to an execution that will be satisfying. Yeah. At this point, I'm pretty much expecting something like the entire Miami PD chasing Devin Dexter, and then Devin Dexter, like, hop on a boat and sail away, and then it cuts to, like, and then there's a little subtitle that says, like, eight years later, and Devin Dexter have, like, new identities on, like, Hawaii or something, and they have, like, strawberry <laughs> daiquiris and pina coladas, and Dexter, like, winks at the camera and goes, mahalo, and then just, like, fade to black. I don't know. That's like, assuming the Miami PD even finds out. I mean, hypothetically, <laughs> the show could not even deny us that. It could just be like, hey, the Miami PD was always oblivious. They never found out this person continued to go off and do what he did and again not really the ending i want to see i'm not going to write it off completely i'm just not very confident at this point in the writer's ability to make that satisfying yeah you know like i I just it just feels like a soap opera at this point it just feels like a serialized soap opera and it's getting to the point where these plot twists are just so ridiculous and strain credibility the point where i just want it to get loopier i just want it to go so insane. Um, I was talking to a friend about, I mentioned Law and Order SVU uh, earlier in this episode, and one of my friends and I were talking about that show and how it feels like that right now. And one of my friends mentioned an episode where there is a pizza bomb on Law and Order SVU. And at this point, I can basically expect that to happen in Dexter. We're like, I don't know, Hannah walks in and is like, pizza, and Batista's like, I didn't order a pizza. And then like all of Miami PD blows up. No, no, no. Dexter's going to bring in donuts. Like he always does. Oh yeah. Oh, it could be like a, a like a. It could go back to uh, you know, Christ-like uh, symbolism from season six, where Dexter's like, "I can't live with myself, and neither can Deb." And then they just bring in donuts and they blow up all of Miami PD, and then the show is over. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like I'm a terrible person, and you all deserve to die with me because you were too dumb to find me. <laughs> Oh, and man. then, but then Masuka happens to be outside on a date with um, Nikki or something, or not a date, just with Nikki. And then they watch uh, Miami PD go down in flames, and then they start a new life. And that's the Dexter spinoff. It's Masuka and his daughter, and it could be like a sitcom with a laugh track. <laughs> oh, I feel like we're gonna get a lot of 
angry comments because I'm just trashing this episode so You bad. really hated this episode. I'm sorry, guys. I, I have to be honest. I'm not trying to get people to hate me. I'm not trying to sound like a dick. It's just I, I have to be honest with myself as a critic. Uh, I, I, I'm just very disappointed. I don't want to hate this show. I used to love this show and worship it, but it's gotten to the point where I'm just so let down and I feel like I'm being whipped around and teased so much by the writers that I can't help but get angry. You hated this episode. I agree with a lot of your criticisms. I think as a whole, this episode is very problematic in terms of how it connects to the rest of the season. As an individual episode, I enjoyed it and I was satisfied. So it's a question of whether individual weekly moments of enjoyment can ultimately coalesce into something greater. I'm not sure that's going to happen. So I I will defend this episode as a piece of writing on its own. I will not defend it in terms of how it relates to the rest of the season. I feel like this season as a whole really seems to just get started in interesting directions and then completely backtrack or not keep following those interesting story lines and those interesting themes. Like you and I have said before, first three episodes, really interesting. Then they totally went in a new direction. I thought last week's episode, really interesting, brings up a lot of potential. Now it seems like they're not going to run with that potential. I don't know what it is. It seems like the writers to this show cannot commit to exploring certain ideas for longer than a few episodes. Yeah, it feels like the writers like all meet up and they all want to do different things and they go, here's what I have for this episode. And then another one of the writers is like, this is all terrible. And then they like have a fist fight and then they're like, okay, guys, chill out, chill out. We can do everything we want. Right. And we can condense it all into one episode. Yeah, the philosophy of the writers seems to be in order to make this interesting and in order to make this compelling... We have to be juggling a lot of balls in the air, and we have to be doing a lot of stuff all the time, whereas we've seen, just because you have a lot of stuff going on, doesn't mean the show is more complicated or more compelling. Look at, again, look at Breaking Bad, a show with a very simple premise, one primary idea that it's exploring, one main arc with all its characters, and it's, I'm on the edge of my seat every episode. Mm -hmm. Sometimes... Less is more. Yeah, because as proven by Breaking Bad, not to keep comparing, but I don't think that's unfair to say that Dexter in its final season should be satisfying, especially considering that there are so many other shows on television. We're in an age where television is almost replacing film. It's on the verge of replacing film as the primary medium for adult storytelling. Right. And and I I don't want to talk about this too much. I don't want to get off on too much of a tangent here, but at least when it comes to presentation, we live in an age now where television shows cost a lot of money. They have high production values. They get great actors. They have all the makings of quote unquote quality drama, Mm -hmm. quality drama, quality television. That's a term that TV critics have been debating what exactly that means and, and, and how you define it for, for around 10 to 20 years now. But we live in an age where so many shows seem like they, they should be 
quality television that now we're, we're, we're almost starting to get a little bit of a backlash. Like we're starting to see that just because you have the makings of that doesn't mean you're always going to be good. And, and that's a criticism that's been brought up lately regarding a lot of new shows. When it comes to Dexter, I think we should just agree, Charlie, to go a few more episodes of the podcast without mentioning Breaking Bad. Yeah. <laughs> All I'll say right now is that ideally, in a perfect world, Dexter would be crafted like Breaking Bad, but be the thematic opposite. It would be this really tight, compelling story about one man's transformation from monster into man. And I think if if it was crafted as well as Breaking Bad, man, that would be a really interesting show. Absolutely. But it it just seems like, as we said at the beginning of this recording session, the writers don't have an endpoint in mind. It doesn't seem like they're really driving towards anything specific. It's kind of all up in the air. And maybe they feel like that's, at least from a, pop, uh, from a plot perspective, more suspenseful. You know, kind of like how things were at the end of Lost. Like, what does it all mean? Anything could happen. What are the answers? How will it all end up? All I'll say about that is Lost ultimately wasn't satisfying either, in yeah. my opinion. <laughs> so sometimes it's better to have a, a clear, narrow focus than to leave it all up in the air and, and open to any possibility. I think that Showtime is thinking more about how much money they're going to make on shows if they keep them running long enough, because this is the same thing that happened to Weeds. I stopped watching Weeds because, like Dexter, it was really solid for about four seasons, and then Showtime was just like, just keep the show moving. Just keep the show moving. Just, just, just have it go on forever. And, like, some of the best shows on HBO knew when to end. Six Feet Under is five seasons, and I could not, you know, it, it, it definitely probably had its flaws in, se- in season four in particular, but, like, that was a show that knew when to end. It never betrayed its characters. Its plots made sense. It was focused. And when it was over, I was, I felt like it was just a masterfully crafted, uh, storytelling. Here, you know, like, I, I just feel like Showtime needs to learn when the, the cutoff point is because if they want to compete with HBO right now, which has Game of Thrones and uh, the newsroom, like, well, although I don't watch the newsroom, so that's not fair of me to say, they, they want to have their cake and then eat like a shit ton more cake without really thinking about how to tell a good story. It's more about, I feel like they're more interested in making profit at this point than giving viewers a satisfying, rich, compelling narrative. Well, it's interesting you say that. I, I was, I read an article just yesterday. I think mainly about Breaking Bad, but it was, it was about how we're in this weird transitional period for television about how the ending and how a show ends has suddenly become really important because everyone's watching everything. So much is serialized now. How a show ends really matters. You know, it used Mm -hmm. to be 20, 30 years ago, the main goal of a show and what made a show successful was how long it stayed on the air. You know, if if you stayed on the air eight, ten, twenty seasons, you were su- you were su- successful. You were a good show. Everybody liked it. You know, Mash was on the air for longer than the Korean War. <laughs> you know, and and, and it, people thought that that was a great show. Now we're in this pl- we're in this interesting place where longer isn't always better. Now it seems to be more about what is the story you are telling. What is the appropriate length of time for that story? 
and how can you end it in a way that is fully satisfying to everyone, which is, a, a, I think, a great transition. I'm not sure we fully made it there yet, as shows like Dexter <laughs> yeah. are, indicate. There is this conflict between how long should we organically let a show exist to tell its story versus how long can we as a network, how many more seasons can we get out of it if we want. That That is a an important conflict, and one we'll probably start seeing a lot more of over the next few years. You brought up Six Feet Under. We've already talked about Breaking Bad. I, I want to bring up Spartacus, a show that I actually haven't finished yet, but that is a really solid show. And it's three seasons. Yeah. It's like 30 episodes, maybe. You mm-hmm. know, not a whole lot of television, but man, is it an interesting show. And it's doing some interesting things, and it just seems like it knows exactly what story it wants to tell. And it's not going to drag it on longer than it needs to. So hopefully... In the future, we'll start seeing more shows focused on just telling a quality story over telling any story for a really long amount of time. Yeah, that is an interesting point to bring up is that the the ending of a show is incredibly important because, like, I, I, I also love, uh, have you seen the HBO show Big Love? I have not. For the first three seasons, it was absolutely remarkable television. Seasons four and five... It went so off the rails and loopy that it took place in a completely different universe. And the way it ended the show was a big bummer for me. But when it comes down to it, three out of five seasons, that's still a success. But at the same time, it is hard for me to recommend that show when I'm going to be like, okay, well, you're going to watch this great show for three seasons and then it's going to have a terrible ending. Like, is it, it's, I think that's an interesting point to bring up that shows how significant an ending of a, of a series can be. Do I recommend this show that I loved for three seasons, but then ends on a whimper to a friend? Is it worth watching? Is the journey itself more important than the end result? That's a really good question, and one that people are still debating. I think 30 years ago, people would say it's the journey that matters. You know, if you're looking at a show like, again, MASH, for example, it's, hey, we like these characters, we like watching them, this is fun. It's it's the journey that matters. It doesn't matter when it ends. If you want to drag it on for a few more seasons, sure, that's fine. Nowadays, it seems like the destination really does matter, which is why I always tell people, watch five seasons of Lost and then just pretend it got canceled. Um, <laughs> you know, so, so yeah, that it's really important. And, you know, if, if we're just talking about TV in general and how TV is changing and how people's viewing habits are changing and how production of TV is changing... TV is in a really interesting place right now because TV is a much younger medium than film in a lot of ways. And there isn't really an auteur theory of television yet mm-hmm. or, or the equivalent of an auteur theory. You know, in, in, in movies, culturally, we, we, we've kind of learned to accept the auteur theory and that idea that, oh, the director is in charge of everything. It's the director's vision that matters and can tie everything together. In TV, because there are so many people involved and it's so episodic and showrunners change and writers change, there isn't really anything like that yet. Mm-hmm. 
we're just now at a point where we can start to think about television in that way. It's it's going to be interesting over the next few years whether there is something like an auteur theory that that comes to be developed for TV. Because I know, you know, if you look at a show like Breaking Bad, that would certainly fit the definition of a quote-unquote auteur-driven show. That's very much Vince Gilligan, his vision, what he wants to do. But that's we're, we're not at a place yet where that's how television as a whole is produced. Yeah. So it'll be interesting to see if we if 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 the medium eventually transforms into that where it suddenly goes from being less about episodes and ratings and 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 all these different things that go into producing a TV show and and becomes more of a person driven or a vision driven medium. I think that's what people want to see. So hopefully that's what we'll eventually get. When it comes to Dexter, I think we both agree there's not a unifying vision that seems to be propelling the show forward at this point. Yeah, exactly. Like, that, that's a great point because, like, I just saw the new movie Passion by Brian De Palma, and there's no way you can mistake that for a Brian De Palma film. Same with Only God Forgives and Nicholas Winding Refn. There's no way you can mistake that for anything other than a Nicholas Winding Refn film, regardless of what your opinion on those films are. Dexter, right now, there's no personal, you know, like, since it's since the show is, you know, since television writing is, uh, you know, like, so much different than screenwriting, and since it, they switch off directors every single week, this season in particular just feels like it's scrambled to this point where I don't know what the identity, you know, I don't know what this show is anymore. It doesn't have an identity of its own. It just feels like workmanship-like. It just feels manufactured by Showtime to make money at this point, and I'm it just upsets me. Right. And, and and as you mentioned earlier, we live now in an age where it seems like there is so much quality TV drama out there. I'm not sure how long they can keep up that model. It seems like more and more people want to see shows with a vision of some sort behind them, with, with some sort of creative or personal touch that gives them their own unique identity, whether it's Breaking Bad or Lost or Game of Thrones, you know, or whatever, Mm -hmm. you watch an episode of these shows and it doesn't feel like anything else on TV. It feels like it's, it's just its own unique thing. And that's what people want to see. That's the direction the culture is headed. So unfortunately, Dexter seems behind the times. Yeah, it, it absolutely does. Which, which is really weird because it started out seeming like there was a really interesting creative vision behind it. And, yeah. And a real solid driving force that knew exactly where it wanted to go. I feel like once Michael Cuesta left the show, it kind of went off the rails. Maybe he was the Vince Gilligan or the Dan Harmon <laughs> of, of Dexter. Maybe he was the guy that really provided it with its magic. I, I really think that that's he was a big part of it because he also made a fantastic uh, film that very few people have seen called L.A.E., which is completely different from Dexter, but it has its own... It, you can tell the guy has his own vision. He's also directed episodes of Six Feet Under and True Blood that are fantastic. 
I, I can't really say that he has like questian, you know, like or whatever phrase you want to apply to Michael Questa. He doesn't have like questian touches per se, but like you can tell the guy knows what he's doing when he directs a film or an episode of television, and he's usually the episodes that are written or directed by him are very focused. I'm pretty sure that he directed the finale of season one, which was incredibly tense. And I, you know, I remember binge watching the first season of Dexter and feeling like it had its own identity, you know, like it had a thorough plot. It had a central character that we were compelled by that made sense that hasn't been um, obscured with all these subplots yet, like we are now. And it, it really felt like an idiosyncratic, form of storytelling on television where it could get away with, you know, some more explicit themes and delve into them with uh, a lot more depth. And now we're at a point where I just feel like this could be playing on NBC if it didn't have, you know, so much blood and uh, sex and foul language and nudity in it. Yeah, that's an interesting point. Uh, One thing I'll mention, you brought up Michael Cuesta. He is now working a lot on Homeland. Oh, yeah. I I haven't watched Homeland yet. I've seen three episodes and I loved it. And yeah, Homeland's like a huge success, right? Homeland is a fantastic show. And I would encourage all of our listeners to go check out Homeland. So yeah, maybe maybe he was the key. (laughs) Yeah, I, I, I feel like I need to go watch that like right now and just regain my faith in <laughs> in television because I, I I don't know. It's I'm not ready to give up on Dexter yet. I'm still holding out hope that they will pull it all together in the final episodes. I didn't hate this episode, so we'll we'll see how it all turns out. And I have a feeling after the finale we will be revisiting a lot of this conversation both in regards to Dexter as a show and in regards to television and the type of television that we want to see and, and, and just the direction the medium is headed. So we, we've gotten off on a little bit of, of tangent. We should wrap things yeah. up. Is there anything else you want to say about Dexter, any other serial killer shows you're watching <laughs> that people might want to check out? I, I don't know. Well, I, I will say this. like we, we have gotten to the halfway point of the final season, As we mentioned before, Dexter is schizophrenic, and it could completely blow our minds in the next several episodes. For all we know, the next several episodes could be some of the best episodes of Dexter we have ever seen. So, as negative as I have been, and trust me, viewers uh, or listeners, I don't like listening to myself whine either. I really want to love this show. It could definitely change. I can't wait till we get to the end of this season and look back on it as a whole and really dissect it. Because, you know, since we're watching it by a week by week basis, we only know we can only make predictions as to what the show's trying to say about its characters and its themes, as opposed to getting the general uh, overall picture. So I feel like maybe we could have an episode on the season finale and then maybe an episode on the season as a whole uh, and talk about what they were trying to get at here, because we can only make estimates at this point. So I'm definitely looking forward to dissecting the show. I can't say I'm looking forward to next week's episode, but I am looking forward to discussing it uh, with you because I feel like even if the episode sucks, I feel like the sh- uh, there's a lot to be said about Dexter and television in this uh, modern age. So I don't know. All right. Well, the last thing I will say is that there's a lot of shows about anti-heroes out there. There's a lot of shows about serial killers out there. There's a lot of show about violent men doing awful things for maybe good reasons out there. That's a big trend in TV right now. 
I, I am going to be writing about a few of those shows over at patheos.com. That's P-A-T-H-E-O-S dot com. I'm, I've started writing about the new season of Breaking Bad. I'm writing about the BBC America series Broadchurch, which right now seems very similar to The Killing. And I'm writing about the new AMC series Low Winter Sun as well. So if you've been watching those shows or you're interested in shows like this, uh, that's my little shameless plug <laughs> for the episode. <laughs> um, that'll wrap it up for this episode of Avenging Angels here on Film Geek Radio. We would love to get your feedback on the show. Let us know, do you like where this season is headed? Do you think this is shaping up to be an appropriate end to the series? What do you think about what happened to Cassie? Write in and let us know. You can email us at avengingangels at filmgeekradio.com or comment on the website at filmgeekradio.com. You can also subscribe to the show through iTunes. So if you like this episode, please write us a review. That would really help us get the word out about the program. You can also donate to us through the website. We really appreciate your help. And don't forget to check out other great shows on Film Geek Radio, including The Thin Place, The Nerdy Projectors, and Navigating the Newsroom. Charlie, where can people find you online? You can find my articles that I've written for your magazine, Emerson, at Issue. That's I-S-S-U-U dot com slash your mag Emerson. You can also find me on Twitter at CTNash91. That's C-T-N-A-S-H 91. You can find some of my writing at FilmGeekRadio.com, MovieMezzanine.com, and Patheos.com. You can also follow me on Twitter at WriterAndrew. If you do follow me, be sure to send me a message and let me know you're a listener, and I will follow you back. That'll wrap it up for this episode. I'm Andrew Johnson. I'm Charlie Nash. And always remember, that girl is someone's daughter. This has been a Film Geek Radio production. Film Geek Radio! Yeah!